Good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here. And I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Romans chapter 4. You want to do that if you have a Bible on your phone. There's also uh, the verses we're going to look at are in your bulletin. And there's a place to take notes there as well. So today we're, uh, we're in a series called The Stories That Define Us. Uh, when we think about God, there are stories that come to mind. Uh, when we think about specifically religion, uh, religion means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so we're going to talk about how you don't have to become religious uh, to know God, to be loved by God, accepted by God today. Um, for some people, when they think about religion, it's just a way to describe their spirituality. Um, religion's a category to talk about what someone believes about God or their spiritual lives. Uh, there are some people who are what we call pro-religion. They're for religion. Um, they see religion as spiritual hoops to jump through to save, right? They're hoops that you jump through, series of things you're supposed to do, ways you're supposed to live. Uh, and if you do these things, then you're good, you're saved. And um, people that are pro-religion, they like religion. Um, they think it's good. They, it, it makes you feel like you're okay, um, these defining beliefs, these practices, observances, they make you right with God, or at least they make you a good person. Um, and in this way, religion makes them good, or at least you're good with God. Um, uh, spiritual exercise is, again, designed to save you. Okay? A lot of people think about religion that way. Um, then many other people don't like religion. Religion is not necessarily a good word or a positive word. These folks are anti-religion. And for anti-religious folks, they think religion's bad. Um, anti-religion people see religion as works really that make people arrogant. Um, this is a set of practices that some people have that really cause them to look down their nose at everybody else that isn't doing what they're doing, that doesn't work as hard as they're working. Um, there's a... Um, uh, these are, there, there's this feeling of being religious that creates an arrogance and an attitude that makes people self-righteous. Um, it actually misses the point of a relationship with God, and often it creates hypocrites uh, and people who are trying to act better than they actually are inside. The outward looks one way, the inside looks something very different. Now, during the time when the Bible was written, both of these views of religion were prevalent. Okay, there were people that thought just the way that we think. Um, in, in these two ways. Um, the Jews of the time that the Bible was written, especially the New Testament, they believed they were God's people, but they had isolated themselves from the rest of the world. They thought that they were better than everyone else. Uh, the Jews of the days of Jesus believed that God loved them and that they were in a relationship with God, but nobody else was. And if you ask them why, they would have answered something very uh, interesting. The question if you said, hey, so why is it that you're special? What is it about you that makes you special? Their answer would have come across, unless you've been around the Bibles, and around people who talk about it, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, the answer the Jews would have given would have been like, huh? Because the Jews would have said, oh, the reason why we're loved by God, the reason why God thinks we're better than everybody else is because of circumcision, So for those of you who are sitting here and you're like, yeah, duh, we knew that. You've been around church too long. <laughs> you don't realize how weird that sounds to people who have not been sitting in church, as Chad said, week after week for their entire lives. 
okay? That's weird. It's weird. Oh, God loves me. Why? Well, because of circumcision. This is why I don't like religion, right? I mean, this is why we stay away from people like you. That's just weird. That's weird, but that's, that's how they thought. Um, they believed that they were loved by God because they had circumcision, because for them, and if you pushed it, you double-clicked on it, you know, you clicked in, they would have said, well, look, it's, it's because Abraham's story defines us. And it's like, oh, oh Father Abraham, okay. So Father Abraham was, he was circumcised and he had this relationship with God and the Jews of the time when the New Testament was written had built up this story around their religion that defined them. They said, since we have circumcision and we obey God's instruction, just like Father Abraham, God loves us like he loved him and we are better than everyone else. And so except for the circumcision piece, this is similar to what a lot of religious people act like today. Um, they feel like they're better because they've got some set of practices. They look down their nose at other people. They know every time they make any sort of spiritual effort and they're kind of excited about themselves and all the effort that they make. And if you don't make the kind of effort that they make, then, well, sorry, you know. I don't want to say I'm better than you, but well, I'm working harder than you are. I certainly care more about God than you seem to care. Otherwise, if you cared, you would do the things I'm doing. And the fact that you're not means, well, you know, that's just what it means. And so the Bible is written to correct this understanding of religion. The Bible, in some ways, is not pro-religion or anti-religion. There's a, there's a sort of a third way in between the two that we're going to see as we look at the passage that we're going to be looking at in Romans chapter 4. But first of all, let me give you, again, this is the Bible's goal. The Bible's goal when it talks about religion is not a relationship with guilt, but a relationship with God. Okay, this is the goal of the Bible. It's not a relationship with guilt but a relationship with God. And so I want to start looking at Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 to see how Paul corrects the story of Abraham that defined the Jews of his day. Okay, we're going to read verses 7 and 8 first. Um, again, they're in your bulletin. They'll be on the screens. It says here, it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And so this is the gospel, this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news that Paul preached. Forgiveness is the key to a relationship with God. It's not earning it, it's not, it's not obedience, it's not if you can do enough, then you're in. No, 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 forgiveness is where a relationship with God starts. That's the ground of a relationship with God. And this was actually Abraham's story. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you've seen that. But Paul goes on, verse 9. Paul says, is this blessing then, this blessing of forgiveness, this blessing, uh, this happiness that comes with knowing God, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. So, if, you, if I just lost you reading verses 9 and 10, don't worry. Don't worry. This is a place where the Bible asks us to do a math lesson. Okay? 
And for those of you who I almost lost but didn't quite lose, I just lost you, right? Because you're like, I'm not a math person. I didn't come to church to do math. I'm not interested in any sort of Bible-provoked math lesson. Again, even worse than self-righteousness, math drives me away from God. If you're telling me I need to know math, I'm out. I get it. Well, look, that's, this is not complicated math. We're not going to be doing calculus here, okay? We're not even doing multiplication. We're just going to do an accounting exercise. All right, can you count with me? Can you count with me? All right. So remember these signs in math? What does the top one mean? Greater than. Nice. What does the bottom one mean? Less than. Okay, so are you ready for the problem that verse 10 is asking us to ask? All right, here it is. 15 and 17. Let's go backwards. 15 and 17. Which symbol goes in the blank? Can you count with me? I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear somebody just say greater than. Because it's not that one. 15 is less than 17, right? Okay, if you can understand this, then you can understand the point that Paul is making in verses 9 and 10, all right? Cool, right? Hey, I can understand the Bible if I know basic counting skills. This is really exciting. It's really exciting. And this is the point Paul's making. Why? Well, let me ask you some questions and we'll have the text answer this for us. So question number one is, when was Abraham justified? It was in the book of Genesis. And if you're kind of a Bible nerd like I am, you might remember that Abraham was justified in Genesis chapter 15. Okay, he was justified in Genesis chapter 15. Question number two, when was Abraham circumcised? Y'all are all Bible nerds, I love it, yes. He was circumcised in Genesis chapter 17. So here's the, now we're going from math to logic, all right? (laughs) Math to logic. So question, do you have to be circumcised in order to be justified? How do you know? Because 15 is less than 17, right? Because chapter 15 comes before chapter 17, right? So Abraham was justified in chapter 15, and he was circumcised in chapter 17. So do you have to be circumcised to be justified? No, no, because Abraham was justified two chapters before he was circumcised. How exciting is that? No, 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 hand for you all, hand for you all. It took me hours to figure this out. You guys figured it out in 30 seconds. Um, Why in the world is this important? (laughs) Well, because we need to know our Bibles. No, no, it's not just that. Paul is laboring. Okay, let's step back for a second. Paul is an apostle who realizes he's about to die. And Paul is writing a letter to the church that he desperately wants to make sure they understand certain things about God, certain things about the gospel, certain things about the family that God is creating on earth. And he belabors this point. We've been been going through Romans for this entire year, starting in January, right? We started in January and we've been going through this and over and over and over again, Paul has been talking about circumcision. 
He keeps bringing it up. He keeps making points about it. Why is that? Well, it's because of the next question. This is the real question that affected the people in the first century that was so important to answer, and it impacts us, especially when we think about religion, okay? And the question is this. Can non-Jews be loved by God without being circumcised? That's the question that is the bottom line that Paul is trying to get to here. Can non-Jews be loved by God without being circumcised? Some of you said yes. You're right. The answer is yes. This was revolutionary in the first century if you were Jewish. This was the opposite of the story that defined them. If you were Jewish in the first century, you would have said, are you crazy? Of course not. You have to be circumcised. In fact, being circumcised is the way to become loved by God. Like this is how you get into the family of God. This is how you realize this is what God responds to. If you want to be loved by God, get circumcised is what they would say. This was the story that they told each other. This was the story that defined them. And so for them, circumcision was, again, it was just, it was just sort of the tip of the iceberg, right? Because circumcision was just the, the capstone of all of the ceremonies, all of the rituals, all of the laws and the instruction of God. Everything that, that Israel had to do, all the things that the Jews had to do were sort of just summarized with the phrase circumcision, with the word circumcision. And so for the Jews... The idea that you could be loved by God without being circumcised was ridiculous. It wasn't anywhere on the map. And so what Paul is saying here is like, it's just, it's, it's smacking them in the forehead. It's waking them up. It's trying to jolt them out of the story that they have been telling themselves. And what's interesting is that what Paul is doing here in this passage is he's actually reading to them their own scriptures, saying, guys, gals, you've missed the story. I know the story that you're telling yourselves. In fact, I used to tell the exact same story that you all are still telling, and it's wrong. It's wrong. Because when was Abraham, when did Abraham get counted righteous? It was, was it before or after he'd been circumcised? Verse 10, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. Paul is saying, look, 15 is less than 17. We've gotten this wrong, and it is vital for us to get it right. It's so important for us to get it right. Paul and God wanted to shake the Jewish people out of their religious superiority complex. Amen. He wanted to shake them out of their self-righteousness. I mean, religion can kill people. It can destroy community. It makes people arrogant and self-righteous if it's not done properly. Both back then and today, Paul, he, he tackles Abraham, he tackles David, now he's tackling circumcision head on. And he tells the Jews of his day, look, if you are against the Gentiles that are trusting in Jesus, Abraham is not your father saying, Abraham is not on your side. If you're against the Gentiles, you're against Abraham. If Father Abraham was justified before he was circumcised, then today, non-Jews can be justified without being circumcised. 
He's saying that everyone can be forgiven and accepted without ever being circumcised. And so this means that God's doors, his arms, are open wide to anyone, to anyone who believes in Jesus. This is big. This is big. And so Abraham's story is that salvation comes before circumcision. Okay, that's the story that Paul is reminding his Jewish brothers and sisters um, of. Abraham's story is salvation before circumcision. And so for us today, this means that rescue comes before religion. Okay, rescue before religion. So I don't know what your experience has been like, but I've talked to a lot of you, and a lot of us have that experience of feeling like religion is that thing that we're supposed to do in order to earn a standing with God. If we do enough, then God is pleased. If we don't do enough, God's not pleased. If we do what the church tells us to do, then we're in, and if we don't, we're out. That's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God rescues us before we engage in any kind of religious activity. And that's good news. That's good news because the peace underneath the notion that we have to do religion in order to be saved, the thing that they never tell you is that you're never going to do enough. You're never going to do enough. We had somebody um, who went to stand down, volunteered at stand down, and uh, she had a conversation with one of the people who was there. Stand down is the, uh, the amazing work that's done to serve homeless veterans um, each year, uh, and a group of our folks from church went, and um, she had a conversation with someone who had a religious background, um, who was a Jehovah's Witness, and had been part of the church, or actually was trying to be part of the church. And in the conversations there, um, the person from our church asked the question, like, like do, you, do you know that God loves you? And the response that she got was, no, I don't, because I'm still working on my repentance. I'm still trying to fix myself. I'm still trying to go through the hoops, hoping that at some point the church, the Jehovah's Witness Church, will accept my repentance and let me back in. Friends, that is religion that is not from God. That is religion that is not from God. Um, she even said, I don't think you can know if God would accept your repentance. To which, I mean, this is what's amazing, is that you don't have to be a theologian you don't have to like know the Bible backwards and forwards to be able to talk about your faith, to be able to do what Mike was saying about sharing um, your faith in Jesus. Um, all she said was, I know that God loves me. And I know because Jesus died for my sins. And I don't have to earn my relationship with God. Jesus was good enough for me. I mean, if you know Jesus like this, you have something to share. You have something amazing to share. 
And it may mean that you need to get into a conversation with someone, right? This isn't something that you necessarily will shout from a street corner and people will come rushing to you and say, ooh, I need this. Um, But normally what happens is as we care for people, as we spend time with people, we find out that they have wrong views of religion. They have wrong views of God. And they have this sense that they need to be good enough for God. And you can say, hey, actually, it's kind of weird, but... I learned a math lesson this last Sunday in church. Um, if you know that 15 is less than 17, you actually can know that God will love you even before you do anything. Amen. And so this is news that God wants us to know deep in our hearts so that we would have a sense of assurance. God saves us the moment that we believe in him before we engage in any kind of religious activity. And so this is the story that Paul is telling about Abraham, and I want to give us just a few points of application. The first application point, I've already kind of mentioned this, but the first thing I want to tell you in in, in applying this is I want you to believe. I want you to believe. The application of this message is not for you to get up and get religious, but it's the opposite. Okay, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, What was Abraham doing while God made these amazing promises to him? He was sleeping. So I want you to not stand up, to not come forward. I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to act almost like you're sleeping. I want you to act like there's nothing that you could do to save yourself. And I want you to trust that what God provided in Jesus is enough so that you would be forgiven of all your sins and accepted as a son or a daughter of God, you're now in his family. God doesn't ask us to become religious. God doesn't want us to necessarily engage in religious activities without a relationship with him, because that's actually the problem. It's people who engage in religion who don't have a relationship with God that are busy going through the motions, and they're kind of angry and frustrated that they have to do so much, and they don't feel really like close to God. Those are people that give religion a bad name. You know, what God wants are people who know him, love him, and know that everything that they're doing is not designed to earn something from him. Um, It has a whole other point that we're going to get to here in just a second. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's grace. We are justified. We're made right with God by our faith. So I want to call you first. This passage calls you first to follow Abraham and believe. Believe in Jesus, that God will accept you based on his life and his death and his resurrection. He will forgive your sins so that you will belong to him. He'll wrap his loving arms around you and begin a relationship with you. So now, then, what is the point of circumcision? Right? God did this whole thing with Abraham and circumcision became this big, huge deal, right? What is the point of circumcision? Um, wider than that, like what's the point of religion, right? If circumcision was just sort of the pinnacle, the, the, the sort of top of the, the, the cherry on top, what's the point of all the ceremonies and the rituals and even the church? Well, Paul explains the point in verse 11. He explains the purpose of circumcision. Look at this. 
So having said that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised in verse 10, verse 11 says, he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So circumcision was a ritual that had this purpose. It was a seal. It was a seal, not like a sea lion kind of seal, right? It was a seal. Like think about the ancient world before they had signatures. I mean, this really was a kind of signature, but before they had, you know, credit card chip deal things that authenticate who you are on your phone with a fingerprint, like before they had any of that, right? Um, a seal in the ancient world was a guarantee. You'd melt wax over something, you know, you light the candle, light into the wax, and then you'd stamp it with a seal that was your signature, okay? It was a stamp of authenticity. It was a guarantee. It was a sign of ownership, okay? The stamp gave assurance that this, in fact, was the owner's work, and so circumcision was a seal to Abraham. It was a seal. God was putting a stamp, a physical sign on Abraham and on all of his male descendants um, that, that God, in fact, had done a work. So in a world of faith, right, in a world where we are so often called to trust and believe what we cannot see, God gave a seal of his work, something tangible, physical, that demonstrated what he had done to rescue his people, okay? And so here's the point. Um, here's the application both for Abraham but also for us. Um, this, this is a second point of application is that religion rehearses relationship, okay? Religion rehearses relationship. This is the biggest point I think I can get across to you from verse 11 and, and really from this passage. This is the biggest thing that you need to understand because this will revolutionize how you engage in any sort of activity that is spiritual, whether you call it religious or not. All of that activity is designed to rehearse your relationship with God, okay? What do I mean by that? Well, that's what circumcision was for. Circumcision was designed to rehearse the relationship that God had with his people. If you do a study of the Old Testament, look at what the Bible says about what circumcision meant, you will learn some pretty crazy things, okay? When you think about circumcision, well, I don't know what you think, um, but, but this is what the Bible says, was communicated to God's people through the sign of circumcision, okay? First, so the assurance of circumcision, like it was designed to give assurance. And so first, circumcision was an outward sign of an inward transformation, okay? The Bible says that circumcision was designed to communicate that you have been transformed, okay? Circumcision was designed to communicate that you are in covenant with God, that God is your God and you are one of his people. Circumcision preached to God's people that his blessings, that God's blessings are surely yours. Okay, I can give you the verses that you can look this stuff up if you want them. Um, in addition, circumcision meant that you are washed and forgiven. So if you wonder, are my sins forgiven? If you've been circumcised, then God is saying your sins are washed and forgiven. And then you are righteous before God. I mean, that's what this verse says, that circumcision was a seal of the righteousness of faith, 
that Abraham had. So Abraham believed and circumcision was added as this assurance that he was righteous before God. And then, this one might be familiar to some of you, circumcision meant that you have a new heart. There's these places where it says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And so we see here, the circumcision was this metaphor. It was this metaphor that communicated all of this spiritual truth and it gave recipients assurance. Kind of makes you want to be circumcised, doesn't it? I mean, if God's willing to do something to communicate to you that you can surely know these things are true about you, sign me up. <laughs> um, but good news for you today. This is a sign and seal of the old covenant. Okay, there's a new covenant now. Jesus came and brought a new covenant Circumcision was a sign of the old covenant, and in the new covenant, there's a different sign. And it's a sign that doesn't mark us out as being Jewish, but it has the same significance for us today. Okay, let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, because it'll help us see that the application of this passage is not, dudes, come to the green room after the service, and we're going to make sure that you all have the assurance of God's blessings. Okay? That's not the application. Because Colossians 2 saves us from that. Look at this, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him, in Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That sounds good. Circumcision without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. This is kind of weird. I'm not sure what this means, but putting off the body of the flesh, this means that you're made new. Your old self, who you are, the sinful, the sinful self that is in you, that's in me, this part of us has been put off through the circumcision of Christ. You're like, I don't really get that. I'm not sure what that is. But verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so what this is saying is that in the New Testament, baptism is considered the circumcision made without hands. Baptism is what unites you to Jesus. It's the new covenant sign that replaces circumcision for God's people. And so today, baptism is the seal of the new covenant. It's the sign of the new covenant. And so if you've been baptized, you've been baptized because either you have faith or you've grown up in the faith, Right? And so you too have this seal of the righteousness of faith. And so if you've been baptized, guess what God has communicated to you through your baptism? Means that you have gone through an outward sign of an inward transformation. Next slide. It means that you are in covenant with God. This is what our baptism is supposed to preach to us. Because you believe, because you've grown up believing, these things are true for you. Um, you. God's blessings are surely yours. You are washed and forgiven. You are righteous before God. You have a new heart. And so you engage with the sacrament of baptism in order to rehearse your relationship with God. So baptism doesn't save you, but it rehearses the fact that you have been saved because you believe just like Abraham. That's the point. And this isn't just true about baptism, friends. This is true about 
all Christian rituals. This is true about all Christian ceremonies. Each one of them is designed for us to rehearse our relationship with God. So baptism, observing the Lord's Supper, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes, but coming to church is designed for this. It's not designed to check off a box, just like Chad said, but it's to come and rehearse your relationship with God, right? Why do you, why should you read the Bible? Well, so I don't feel guilty, so I can feel good about myself because I read the Bible today. Well, how about we read the Bible so that we can rehearse the fact that we know the God of the Bible? How about reading the Bible so that you can know more about the God that you've committed your life to? How about reading the Bible so that you can know more about what Jesus has done for you before you did anything religious to rescue you and to save you? How about reading the Bible so you can find out more of who you are and what God has done to make you new? Right? This is the point of reading the Bible. Why pray? Well, so I can feel good about myself, so I can say 20 Hail Mary. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is to rehearse the fact that you have access to God. You can talk to God whenever you want. Yay. Holy, I mean, really, I mean, ah, oh my God, that you would allow us to come into your presence, that we could talk to you when we're high and low that we can talk to you when we're confused and frustrated, right? That we can come into your presence and you're always ready to receive us. Man, this is why we pray. This is why we come to church because I forget and I need to be here. I need to hear Chad call me into worship so that I'll wake up and not go through the motions. I need to be here at this table so that I can be reminded that Jesus gave his life for me and he lives in me because I forget. I forget this. And so our religion is designed to rehearse our relationship. And if that's the point, if that's the point, why wouldn't you want to take advantage of everything that encourages your relationship with God? And I don't say that because I want you to go away with a laundry list of stuff you have to do. Here's what I want. I want you to think about what is it that encourages your relationship with God most? I mean, is it, is it singing? Well, then figure out in your week, how do you make sure you're getting to sing? I mean, maybe it's playing stuff in the car. Maybe it's putting the music on and singing as you're getting ready. Maybe it's just having a time where you sit and you sing to God with, you know, you use your phone, pull up whatever music, it's all, on, it's all online. Um, just to c- commune with God through music, right? Maybe it's conversations with people that really get you stimulated. Maybe it's thinking out loud and talking out loud. Well, then join a life group. Get someone else in your life that you can sit down with and say, hey, how are you doing? Here's how I'm doing. Can we talk about God? Because if I don't talk about God, there's something that needs to happen in my life that doesn't happen. Bible reading, prayer, like figure out what is it that speaks to my heart? What is it that lifts up my soul? And use those things to rehearse your relationship with God. 
enter into those things saying, God, I want to rehearse the fact that I know you. I want to remember the fact that you're at work in my life. And then engage in that way. If you do that, the chances are coming out of that, you'll think, man, that was, that was encouraging. That was encouraging. I feel closer to God. I feel like I'm a little stronger. I feel like I'm a little more patient. I think I'm ready to handle the challenges of the day. Okay, um, very quickly, the third point of application that the text makes, so we've got to highlight this, is that all believers are equal. All believers are equal. It's number three. Religion is not designed to make people arrogant or self-righteous. I mean, God rescues us before religion so that we'll always know and remember that we didn't save ourselves. We were just as lost as everyone else. And the fact that we're found, we don't get any credit for that. Because <laughs> God found us. God found us. And then the last thing, um, the last thing that this passage calls us to is to live on mission. And this is where we need to understand the story of Abraham. There's another piece of this story in Genesis 17 when God gave him the sign of circumcision. Okay? Um, a huge part of the story um, is, well, let me read verses 11 and 12, and then we're going to jump into Genesis 17. But look at, look at Romans 4, verse 11 and 12. It says, the purpose was to make him, this is Abraham, the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make Abraham the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so what God is doing here is he's sort of covering all of his bases. So God saves Abraham before he's circumcised by his faith. It's Abraham's faith that saved him. So anybody today and forevermore who had the faith of Abraham, believed in God and trusted in God to rescue him even though he was ungodly, everyone who had Abraham's faith can call Abraham father, okay? And so this is true both for, for folks who aren't circumcised but believe like Abraham, but it's also true for those who are circumcised and walk in the faith of Abraham. And so what Paul's saying here is that Abraham is the father of all, both Jews and Gentiles. Do you follow that? Now, this is communicated in Genesis chapter 17, I don't know, did I put a slide in with this? Genesis 17 verses 4 and 5, I don't, you have to look it up. But Genesis, 4, or Genesis 17 verses 4 and 5, this is God talking to Abraham. He says, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." And so what happens here in the story of Abraham, this is the story that the Jews just, they lost sight of this. They got blinded by their religion and they lost this. Abraham wasn't always named Abraham. He started out, his birth name was Abram, which means what? Anybody know what Abram means? Not circumcised. It means a great father. Abram means great father. Abraham means, the text tells us, it means the father of a multitude. 
And so God actually changes Abram's name to Abraham. And this was incredibly significant because what God is doing in this text is God is saying, Abraham, you are going to be the father, not just of one nation, but of many nations. You're going to be the father of every nation on earth. And God changes the name of Abram. He changes his name to Abraham so that Abraham and all of his descendants would hopefully, frustratingly, they'll never forget, because they did forget, that's why it's frustrating, that they were, they're never supposed to forget that Abraham, the whole point of Abraham was to end up reaching all of the nations. That God blessed Abraham so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God saves people, not just so that they can sort of withdraw and create this sort of separate community of people completely separate from everyone else. No, no, no. God rescues people so that he would send them into all the nations so that everyone would find out about this God and about this gospel and about this news so that we'd all find forgiveness, freedom, and acceptance with God. And so friends, if your religion rehearses your relationship with God, if you know this God and know that you're forgiven, you are called to live on mission. You are called to live on mission. In fact, it's this mission. God has given you his own name. If you've been baptized, you've been baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is your last name. Your last name is the name of Jesus. And Jesus is Lord over all the nations. Jesus wants every nation on earth to be discipled. And the nations have come to San Diego. This directly hits us today, this week. Jesus is reaching the nations here. Over 80 languages are spoken in the, in the five mile radius around our church. 80 languages. And you don't have to know all the languages. I mean, but even English speakers, I don't know how many nations there are that are represented by English speakers, but it's got to be at least 30. I'm just guessing. It's probably, th I mean, there's probably more than that. But I mean, you want to think about this. And so Jesus is calling us to have the faith of Abraham. This passage is telling us that Abraham is our father and God's call to him to bless the nations is the call for us. So go, go and bless the nations around you. Live on mission. And to do that, all you have to do is have a relationship with God. All you have to do is rehearse that relationship with God so that you feel loved by him and share that with others. Do it this week. We've got so much to offer. Um, this call to live on mission, I mean, in some ways, it's a chance for you to become intentional. You can become spiritually intentional with the people around you. I'm not talking about manipulating. I'm not talking about like, just, just take an active and lively concern for the spiritual well-being of the people that you love. Just care for their souls. Ask them what their story is. Tell them something that's encouraged you about your relationship with God. And watch God open doors. Watch God use you to share your story with them and he'll use you to touch them with his love. Let's pray together.
Jesus, we want so much for the love that you've shown us to overflow from our hearts and lives into the lives of others. Jesus, we want to live on mission and so strengthen us to do that. I pray, Jesus, that you would give each one of us a sense of how you're at work in our lives. Give us something that we can share with others that would speak to the comfort that we have, the peace that we have, the joy that we have, the strength that we feel that comes from you. Give us opportunities to share this good news with others. And Jesus, for those who are here and they're not on mission yet because they don't know you yet, help them know that all they need to do is believe, touch their hearts, and draw them to confess their sins and trust you and follow you. We pray this in your name, amen.